Welcome to What's Up Wednesday. In these short episodes, I will summarize a recent study or journal article related to obesity management and discuss how to incorporate this latest science into your clinical practice. And of course, I'll be sure to include links to the articles in the show notes. So let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What's Up Wednesday, where we'll be discussing recent journal articles in the field of obesity medicine. So today we will be discussing the Step 5 trial, or the two-year effects of semaglutide in adults with overweight or obesity, also known as the Step 5 trial. This was published by Nature Medicine on October 10th, 2022 by Timothy Garvey et al., And the step five trial assessed the efficacy and safety of the once weekly subcutaneous subcutaneous semaglutide 2.4 milligrams versus placebo. And both of these did have behavioral interventions for the long-term treatment of adults with obesity or pre-obesity with at least one weight-related complication, but not diabetes. Okay, that was a separate trial. So the co-primary endpoints were the percentage of body weight change and achievement of weight loss of at least 5% at week 104. So the average change in body weight from baseline to week 104 was 15.2% in the semaglutide group versus 2.6% with placebo. For an estimated treatment difference, so if you subtract the placebo from the overall, it was 12.6% body weight loss for the semaglutide group uh, when you subtract out the placebo. So of course, we need to discuss side effects as well. So the most common side effects were gastrointestinal, uh, gastrointestinal side effects, which were mostly mild to moderate, and they were reported more often with semaglutide than with the placebo group. That was 82.2% versus 53.9%. And so in summary, adults with overweight with at least one weight-related complication or obesity, semaglutide treatment led to substantial and sustained weight loss over 104 weeks compared to placebo. So we know that in the step one and step three trials, participants, again, these were without type two diabetes, the average placebo subtracted weight loss in those studies were 12.4% and 10.3% respectively. And these were seen with semaglutide 2.4 milligrams at week 68. Okay, so those previous studies of the the STEP trial were limited to treatment durations of only up to 68 weeks. So the two-year STEP 5 study was done to evaluate the long-term effects of semaglutide 2.4 milligrams, looking at the outcomes at two years, of course, as an adjunct to behavioral intervention. And they also looked, in addition to body weight, they looked at cardiometabolic risk factors. And so what they found was that this phase three randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, multinational trial uh, at this time represents the longest study of the use of semaglutide for weight management to date, and that the semaglutide-treated patients compared to placebo were also more likely to lose at least 10%, 15%, or 20% of baseline body weight at week 104. 
So if we look at the semaglutide treated group, 61.8% of those achieved at least a 10% weight loss, 52.1% achieved a 15% weight loss, and 36.1% achieved a 20% weight loss. And if we compare that to the placebo group, we see that 13.3% in the placebo group achieved a 10% weight loss, 7% in the placebo group achieved a 15% weight loss, and 2.3% of participants in the placebo group received, uh, achieved a 20% weight loss. So we see significantly greater proportions of people who were able to achieve, especially those higher rates of weight reduction. Compared to placebo, semaglutide also led to improvements in diastolic blood pressure, hemoglobin A1c, fasting glucose and fasting insulin levels, uh, reduced C-reactive protein, reduced total cholesterol, and um, very low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, and triglycerides. So all of those improvements in cardiometabolic factors were seen as well. Of the participants with prediabetes at baseline, again, people who had diabetes were excluded from this trial, but participants with prediabetes at baseline um, who also had a glycemic status assessment at week 104, 79.7% um, of those people treated with semaglutide reverted back to normal glycemia at week 104, compared to 37% uh, of the participants on placebo. And this was an exploratory endpoint. This was something else that they took a look at. So you can look at that in more detail in the study as well. And of the patients or of the participants with normal glycemia at baseline, who also had a glycemic status assessment at week 104, um, one or 1.4% 1 of the 71 treated with semaglutide had prediabetes at week 104 compared to 10 or 13% of the 77 participants on placebo. So that we see in that placebo group, 13% of those people progressed to prediabetes in the trial, even though they did not have prediabetes before. So again, just like obesity, diabetes is also a progressive disease, right? And so if we can prevent people from developing prediabetes and diabetes, that's of course super important. And that's what we're seeing with this trial as well. So to discuss the adverse events a little bit more, adverse events led to a discontinuation of the trial product in nine participants in the semaglutide group, and that was 5.9%, and seven participants, or 4.6%, in the placebo group. So overall, we see that um, people did not, that adverse events did not lead to discontinuation of the vast majority of participants in the semaglutide group. The most frequent adverse events, of course, were gastrointestinal. They were nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and constipation. Those were the most frequently reported adverse events and occurred more commonly in patients treated with semaglutide than placebo. And that was, again, 82.2% versus 53.9%. Interesting that even those in the placebo group had a lot of GI effects. And some of that might also just be when we're changing our nutrition because, you know, all of these groups were going through behavioral changes as well. So that can uh, cause some GI side effects as well. 
But most of the GI events were mild to moderate and transient and led to permanent treatment discontinuation. And again, just a small percentage, only 3.9% of the participants in the semaglutide group compared to 0.7% in percent of participants in the placebo group. Serious adverse events were reported by 7.9% of participants in the semaglutide group and 11.8% in the placebo group. So in the semaglutide versus placebo groups, gallbladder-related disorders were reported by 4 or 2.6% versus 2 participants or 1.3%. And malignant malignant neoplasms were reported by 2 Uh, participants or 1.3% versus four participants in the placebo group, respectively, which was 2.6%. And important, since we're talking about GLP-1s here, there were no reports of pancreatitis in either treatment group. So the takeaway from this study is that the weight loss at two years was very similar, if not slightly greater than the outcomes at one year for semaglutide 2.4. And so we see that sustained weight reduction and improvement of cardiometabolic parameters. So this gives us all great hope for patients living with obesity that we now have safe and even more effective treatment options. And the challenge, of course, for all of us is still coverage. So I would encourage everybody to make sure that they support the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act super easy to do this. Just go to the Obesity Action Coalition and you can very easily sign a letter that uh, shows your support to the government to support the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. And as far as the availability of semaglutide, of course, that's another challenge that we're having. And so I can't say, of course, when it will be readily available again, but hopefully by early 2023, Uh, we'll all have this available for our patients again. And I will, of course, include the link to this study in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me for this episode of What's Up Wednesday. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gaining Health Podcast. Don't forget to review and subscribe. And if you really liked it, consider supporting us on Patreon. Lastly, if you need resources and tools to help you start an obesity management program, be sure to check out gaininghealth.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Gaining Health Podcast.